Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is prescription drugs, sibling death from a long-term addiction, and our guest is Rod Colvin. In 1988, Rod Colvin lost his brother Randy, age 35, to a drug addiction. Randy's death inspired Rod, a former journalist, to write Prescription Drug Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic. Rod currently is the publisher of Atticus Books in Omaha, Nebraska. From 2003 to 2005, Rod served on an advisory panel to the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University, which produced Under the Counter, the Diversion and Abuse for Prescription Drugs in the United States. This was a landmark study on prescription drug abuse in the U.S. Welcome to the show, Rod. Well, thank you so much, and good morning. Good morning. It's great to have you on. Well, Rod, could you start out a little bit? Um, first of all, you were just telling us that um, this is your brother Randy's uh, birthday and his death day. Yes, you know, and it's so mm-hmm. ironic that we should be doing this interview on at this hour on October 19th because it's uh, 18 years ago today, almost to this very hour, that he died. Um, it was his birthday, his 35th birthday. He had just finished his uh, college degree. He had gone back to school late, later in life and uh, was such a, a positive uh, and self-esteem building experience for him. And he had finished his degree and it was his birthday and so I was uh, taking him out for a birthday dinner that evening. I was a news reporter at the time in the newsroom, and we have the police scanners and ambulance scanners, you know, going all the time. And I'd heard this ambulance call thing, code four to Methodist Hospital, but you know that means person not breathing being brought in by rescue squad. And, but you hear that stuff all kinds, you know, all the time. And in a newsroom, you don't pay a lot of attention to it. But uh, a couple of minutes later, I got a telephone call from from this hospital here in Omaha saying that. Uh, my brother had been brought in by a rescue squad in critical condition. And so I, you know, th- those horrible feelings you get when you get a call like that, your head feels like it's the size of a bushel basket. And I jumped in my car and and raced a few blocks to this hospital and um, raced into the emergency room, you know, and scanning the, the bay of beds there, you know, looking for my brother. And I, I didn't see him. I couldn't, you know, find him. And, and a nurse came up to me. And she said, um, are you Randy's brother? My brother's name was Randy. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, could we step out into the hall? And at that moment, I knew mm-hmm. you know, what had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, pardon the feelings. Absolutely. Later, 18 years, it doesn't matter. They're still with us. Especially on an anniversary. Yeah, but I was anyway, say, um, today. So, um, you know, she and I, I knew, you know, and I said, he, he's gone, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh what I, what I want to try to say is that while his loss has certainly been a, a profound loss, it was not a huge surprise because my brother had been addicted to prescription drugs on and off for 15 years. 
Now, at the time, my family and I didn't know much about enabling. We didn't know about addiction. You know, you know, no family gets training for addiction. You know, it pops up, and there you are in the throes of it, and you're you're helpless, and you're you're ashamed, and you're embarrassed, and what do you do, and what will the neighbors think? All these. And you've got a twenty-year-old. That's about how old he would have been. Yeah, maybe yes, maybe he, he was yes, even using yes, younger. Yes. And um, he had been given prescription drugs in his early 20s for anxiety. He was what I call, like so many people who get in trouble with uh, uh, prescription drugs, are unwitting addicts. They start taking a drug for a legitimate pain, be it physical pain, you know, the Vicodins, the Lortabs, or a broken arm or whatever, or the anxiety drugs, uh, benzodiazepines, Valium, uh, Xanax, for anxiety. They take these, start taking them for a legitimate purpose. They have no history of drug abuse, no history of addiction. But there are some underlying issues. It could be depression, it could be insomnia, it could be undiagnosed anxiety. They start taking these drugs for a legitimate reason and boy for the first time in their lives they feel really good. And what and what was your family thinking? They were probably thinking, Wow, this is good. He's well yeah, you know, the doctors give you these, a psychiatrist prescribes this, they need them. How wonderful. Right. So, you know, these drugs make the addict uh, or the person who falls into the, I don't like the word addict, but sometimes for, for expediency it works, but the person who falls into the addiction trap, uh, these drugs start making him or her feel really good. You know, the emotional pain is gone, the physical pain is gone, so they start taking a little more. And it makes the family feel good, too. Yeah, There's their yeah, physical and yeah. emotional pain. Is yes, gone, in the yeah. beginning, it's everybody's pleased, and they take a little more, and then they start running out early, and then they're afraid to ask their doctor for some more. So they will sometimes do what's called doctor shopping, one of the most popular popular ways to get additional drugs. I go to a doctor, feign illness, feign pain, and of course doctors are onto this, but any doctor can be fooled. So they start doctor shopping and start getting more drugs. Pretty soon they are hooked. They, uh, you know, they have withdrawals if they stop the drug. So that's a real panic. So they start uh, doing any number, there are any number of things the clever addict can do today to get prescription drugs. And I should also mention sometimes I, I skip over the fact. I know people wonder, you know, what did he die of? Was it, a, mm-hmm. was it a, an overdose? It was not an overdose, uh, but over the 15-year period from his 20, early 20s to his age 35, he was, you know, first prescribed the, the uh, tranquilizers and then he progressed to, to pain pills. Anything he could get to, to numb the emotional pain. He was the equivalent of an alcoholic, but his chemical of choice was prescription drugs. And he would go to doctors and lie. He would go to emergency rooms on the weekend and feign toothaches and get pain pills. Uh, anyway, he died in his sleep of a heart attack at age 35. Uh, and we know it was from the, the long-term abuse of his uh, body from the prescription drugs. There was no heart well, he disease. Wasn't- celebrating too much the night no, of his birthday. No. And interestingly, he had been sober. He had been clean for an entire year. For some reason, unbeknownst to us, uh, he relapsed. Of course, addiction is a uh, disease of relapse. He relapsed on his birthday. He had been out partying and had been drinking some, but did not uh, have, you know, uh, overdose of, of alcohol or drugs in his system. But... Uh, we know he simply had, you know, worn his body out from from all the, the abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as I mentioned, while his death was devastating, uh, because we had tried so hard to save him for so many years, and, and sometimes being enablers in, in hindsight, uh, but his death was not a, a total shock. But in, but certainly we were were devastated. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a total 
surprise, but it was a shock. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. he had, had, you know, he had, had accidents, car accidents, injuries, falling downstairs. Because when he used drugs, he would become like a, a, a drunk. He would be falling down drunk, literally sometimes slurred speech. Uh, there was no secret that he was impaired and so much chaos in his life. And, if, as of course, anyone who's been around addiction knows addiction hurts everyone in the family. No one escapes the pain and chaos. Right. And chaos in life. Yeah. Well, tell us about uh, his death. How, how did the family deal with it? And, and you as a sibling, and Heidi might want to, you know, talk a little bit, you two, about siblings. Sure. Well, you know, it was, um, I, can, I can say, of course, now, the um, jumping ahead a little bit, the, the acute rip your gut out pain of the loss has, has diminished, but still that hole is still there in my heart. I miss him dreadfully, especially on this anniversary. But um, Yes, and, and tell us what the anniversary is again. Uh, today is the anniversary. It was his birthday and the date of his death. He died on his 35th birthday. Uh, of course, the original initial reactions were, were shock, um, you know, disbelief, uh, some anger, you know, that he had ultimately caused this. You know, an interesting thing as I look back, and I think any sibling can relate to this, uh, we siblings are sometimes called the forgotten sur- the sur- forgotten survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, the first few years after my brother's death, people would come up to me, well, how's your mother doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and in reality, I think she was doing better than I was. Um, she didn't live with my brother anymore. He, he lived in the same town as me. It had for the last six years. We, You know, we were buddies. We talked often. Um, it seemed outwardly that she was perhaps handling it better than I was, but people were more interested in her grief than mine. And probably thought her grief was more significant. Yes, bigger. yes. Her grief was the one that really counted. You're just a brother. Right. You know? and, and people, and that's the reality in our culture. People don't mm-hmm. mean that, but that's the way it comes out. And like you said, not only were our brothers our brothers, they were our baby brothers. Yes. So you we know. were supposed to die before them. Yes, and I don't know if you thought of this, Heidi, but I was see, I was 38 when my brother died. He was three years younger than me, just as my brother was three years yeah. younger than me also. And it really called into question my mortality. Right. You know, at 38, you're not thinking a whole lot about dying, but mm-hmm. I thought, my God, if my little brother is going to die, so I'm, if he can die, I'm, I can die too. And that called me to you know think about my life goals and and what I wanted to do, which, you know, it sounds like, it, I mean, there, that's sort of a positive effect, but it was it was such a rude awakening. I think, my God, uh, I'm mortal also. You know, because I think at that stage in our life, we're sort of, you know, thinking we're uh, invincible and uh, going to live forever. I um, completely agree. I can completely relate to what you're saying. Yeah. It completely rocked my world, and I went into a very existential place, like you said. Wow, life is not forever, and we are, we have a, a you know, yeah. Limited time on this earth, and I need to look at why am I here? What is my meaning? What is my purpose? Yeah. And you were only 20, so you had right. even fewer coping skills than, than maybe I did at right. age 38. You know, you said something in the beginning of the show um, about what I refer to sometimes as grief spasms when that song or something will trigger mm-hmm. something. I remember early on, it took me a good five years, I think, to to have a good amount of healing from my brother's death, that's the point at which I decided to write this book to try to shed some life on this horrible, horrible, horrible drug problem that's one of our nation's most serious drug problems. But one day I was walking down a supermarket aisle, and I walked past the soap aisle, and there was a stack of Safeguard soap, and I just burst into sobs because, you know, that's, 
that's the soap my brother used, and he always had a stack of it under his bathroom sink. Mm-hmm. And that just, the smell of that soap and the, the sight of it just triggered that grief spasm. And here I am in the supermarket sobbing, you know. And uh, But that's what happens to all of us, I think, when we're so newly bereaved and those triggers hit you and they're just gut-wrenching. Like yeah. They're waves of grief. You don't know when they're going to come over. Yeah, yeah. And it can still hit us. Yes. You know, you never yeah. know when a sound yeah. or a sight or a smell or whatever. In some ways, it's kind of sweet, too, because it does bring you back to remembering them in a very profound way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I have a question for you, Rod, about mm-hmm. I, have, I have known a lot of people that have had somebody in the family die of drug overdoses and prescription, this kind of thing, and they don't want to tell people how it happened. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering what, how you would respond to that. Well, I think it is very, very typical. It happened in my family. I don't know the the phenomenon for this, but here's the way it seems to shake down. People are extremely ashamed and embarrassed about addiction. Uh, as a culture, I think we still tend to see it somewhat as a moral issue, a uh, moral weakness. I prefer to see it as a disease if we're diagnosed with the uh, diabetes or some other chronic condition, we're certainly going to get help, and it's not embarrassing or shameful, but addiction carries the stigma of shame and embarrassment, Um, and I think shame is one of the most destructive emotions there is. I would like you to mention your website and uh, say a little bit more about your book. Certainly. uh, Five years after my brother's death, I did write a book uh, called Prescription Drug Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic. It's a guide to coping and understanding. I wanted to help others who were suffering with this addiction. When the first edition came out in 1995, uh, there was very little in the news about it, and it's, it was just, you know, the, the maddening to, you know, your, your brother dies from, from medical pills. How could this happen? Uh, you know, drugs coming from the medical community, and there was so little information on it. So I wanted to shed some light on what is now the nation's one of the nation's most serious drug problems, prescription drug abuse outranks marijuana use, cocaine, and heroin use. Mm-hmm. And then I also have a website. It's a free resource for anybody who is struggling, friend or family or person who has become addicted, prescriptiondrugaddiction.com. A lot of good information there, a message board. I invite anyone to go there for information. That's great, and hopefully if you have some addictive family members, you'll visit that Rod's website. You can get in touch with us, and we'll put you in touch with him if you uh, forget what it is or whatever or want to know more. Also, um, I think it's important to point out to you folks out there that it has been, uh, what, 18 years since 18 years. Rod's brother died, and today was his birthday, and today is the day that he died. Um, and uh, what I wanted to say about this is it's been a while, and I just it, I love when we have guests on this show to tell you what the, uh, people have gone on to do or have them tell you how they have taken these terrible losses we all have in our lives and gone on to do fantastic and wonderful things. And it does take time, doesn't it, Rod? You know, it does. And like I said, it was uh, five years before I felt strong enough or had the, the idea come to me that I would write this book. And I have to tell you, writing that book and having this website has been uh, so, frankly, healing for me. I thought I was doing it to help others, and I think it has helped people who are looking for information. But sometimes I get letters from people saying that they have been in the throes of addiction and they came across my book and that it really 
help them. And I, I thanked them profusely and, and let them know that any action they took or toward recovery was certainly they deserve the credit. But I cannot tell you how healing and how heartening it is when I get those letters to know that out of my deep personal loss, I did a little something that helped somebody else. Every letter, 18 years later, when I read those stories, I get tears in my eyes. That'll come as a real shock to you, won't it? Uh, but uh, it, it's very healing and very helpful. Absolutely. So, so Rod, it sounds like you moved from a place of kind of shame and then over the five years to a place where you were, were you, of, of building awareness about this problem and yeah. talking openly about how your brother had died and what had happened. I was wondering for our audience out there how you got to that place. Good, good question. You know, I had a little help because right before my brother died, my uh, my father was an alcoholic, his father was an alcoholic, so our family had a predisposition to, to addiction. Uh, about six months before my brother died, I had joined a group, this was in the early 80s, when the uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics was at its peak and uh, Melanie Beatty's book was out about codependency. So I became introduced to all these concepts about addiction and shame and found out that I, too, was very shame-based. Of course, I think you know most of our society is, but I had a lot of shame. And so through that experience, I came to realize that we don't have to be ashamed of human problems that everyone else that we know has gone through but yet nobody wants mm-hmm. to talk about mm-hmm. and you know that when we uh, when we let go of that shame and open up about it we can when release it so i had a little head start there in terms of understanding shame and being okay to spill my guts publicly and know that i'm not going to hurt myself or anybody else but in fact maybe help someone now i was wondering as a parent did you did you hold back at all as a sibling after your brother died about being open about it, or what? Were you trying to bury it, or because of the family, did that impact you as a sibling? You know, sibling? I, I didn't try to bury it because, again, I had become aware of, it. and I also had had been a, a counselor and had a master's degree in counseling, so had a few insights about human behavior, and I was not ashamed. Uh, I knew my brother was a loving spirit and a good person and loved his two dogs and uh but he got into this addiction trap and it and it changed him but uh when my book came out I also uh did a companion piece for Family Circle magazine and they had a picture of me and my brother as little boys with our tricycles and then a picture of my brother Randy just before he died and um, you know I thought it was a very helpful piece to reach a lot of people if you've got that and you want to send it to us we'll stick it up oh, on our website okay thank you well here's what happened um my little family hometown where my mother lived in Kansas, some editor at the little family and little hometown newspaper, 4,000 people, saw Family Circle and put a little blurb in the hometown newspaper about uh, Randy Colvin, uh, an article, and he had died from prescription drug addiction. And my mother was beside herself with embarrassment and shame. Because, you know, from a small town, what will the neighbors think? In small towns, everybody, you know, worries about what everybody else will think about them. And she was so upset and called me she was going to have to move out of town because, you know, this this was made public. And, of course, everybody knew, you know, everybody knew Randy had a drug problem. Uh, but so that's an example of, of her discomfort with that and her still carrying the, the shame and the embarrassment. But, unfortunately, I think it's too typical of, of uh, those of us who find ourselves involved with addiction. Yeah. Now, for our folks out there who are dealing with family members that are angry with them because they've come forward or thinking about coming forward or feeling like they're having to be too quiet about it, do you have any thoughts for them? 
Well, that's a tough one. You know, she didn't move, she didn't move out of town. I'm 18 years later. I'm chuckling, but uh, she didn't move out of town, and uh, you know, nobody showed up on her doorstep flailing her, accusing her of being a bad parent. Uh, and it was important for you. It was, you know, I had to look at this can help other people. Do I hold back because you know right. it might hurt my mom's feelings? Right. So if you're out there and people are mad at you, they get over it, right? They get over it. Well, and what I was going to say is, if if we hold on to these secrets and this information, we are not going to prevent someone else from dying. I mean, what you're doing, building awareness, you will, you you have prevented another person from from dying this way. Well, I hope it helps. You know, I get on this this message board I have at prescriptiondrugaddiction.com. There are people posting there of all ages who, uh, for example, I'm thinking right now of a 38-year-old mother who's been taking uh, OxyContin for two years. She says she has two beautiful children. She's afraid to tell her husband. She's afraid to tell her parents. And she's in this horrible, horrible, painful trap. Addicts aren't having fun. People tend to think, you know, addicts are having fun. They are not having fun. They're in a lot of pain, and they've got a monkey on their back, and they've got an addiction to feed. Yeah. And I tell them, I wonder if your family knew how much you are hurting how badly they would feel if they knew they weren't able to help you. Mm-hmm. you know, if I had a, a child that was hurting and suffering and I wasn't being allowed to help them, I would be devastated. Yeah. Well, I, um, a, a few months ago, I started. I had gone to Compassionate Friends uh, right after my brother first died and then about a year ago, uh, and then I didn't go for a number of years, uh, but then about a year ago I started leading a subgroup, if you will, of the adult siblings in our monthly meetings, and um, it's, I'm telling you, it's, I know, I think it's nourishing for people who come there, but for me, whether I've just gone as a, as a regular attendee or if I'm leading this group, the environment is so nourishing. For those who are listening and who are newly bereaved, newly grieved, I would encourage you to go to one of these meetings because it may be, for me, it was one of the only places in the world I could go to be full of a room full of people who knew my pain, who knew the anguish, and there is nurturing there, and it is so, so helpful to go. It certainly was for me. I don't mean to yeah. preach. But well, one of, the, one of the suggestions that we have, um, I'm on the board of Compassionate Friends, is that people go three times. Uh, try to commit yourself to three mm-hmm. times because the first time can re- really be difficult. New setting, new surroundings, new pe- you know, it's pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So, so try to commit yourself to three times, but it, it can be a great thing. And the other thing Heidi was saying um, is that uh, one of the things that Compassionate Friends has is people that are at different stages of loss also. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you're able to say, well, I'm going to be like this. Next year I could be a little better, a little better, or wow, I've come a long way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you actually are able to see position yourself and have people understanding when you have those moment breakdowns when things happen anniversaries or you know whatever well tell us a little bit about your books and your publishing well, thank and your you. website and, you know, again as you just said that i'm also thinking to doing this show today the fact that it fell on the 19th of october it, what a wonderful way for me to honor my brother's memory and i mm-hmm. so appreciate this opportunity as I mentioned, uh, after my brother died, I wrote a book called Prescription Drug Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic. I also have a website, a free service, free resource, prescriptiondrugaddiction.com. I also started a publishing business 13 years ago called Atticus Books. Uh, I'm a former journalist, so this is sort of a next uh, progression in my career. We publish mostly consumer health books. We're at atticusbooks.com, A-D-D-I-C-U-S, uh, books.com. And uh, we, we publish health books, so keeps keeps us very busy here. 
<laughs> for sure. Well, um, is there anything that we've missed that you think we ought to talk about, either you or Heidi? This is about siblings, so if you two uh, have anything to say now. Well, I, gu- I guess I had a question for Rod, which I didn't know if we were going to get to. It's a quick question. What do you know now about sibling loss that you wish you had known at the time of your brother's death? Well, boy, that's a that's a great question. Very introspective. I guess you know the uh, the knowledge that our, our our psyches, our hearts, our emotions, as human beings, we do have a natural process that will lead us toward healing. At the time, we're in that horrible gut wrenching grief that doesn't seem possible. And even when people tell you that the time will help and that you will get better, it just doesn't seem possible. But I think if we will give ourselves the path and give ourselves room to grieve and do what's natural, that we we can heal and recover. The loss is always there. I wanted that to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that loss is there, but the, the anguish and the ache subsides with healing. Mm-hmm. Heidi, what do you wish you'd known? I think that Rod said it well. I really like that. I think I held on to the pain longer than I needed to because I was afraid I was going to forget. Mm-hmm. And um, with time, I've actually remembered more and had incredible memories because I've the pain hasn't gotten in the way of those memories. Yeah. You know, somebody a few months ago, I saw one of the Compassionate Friends newsletter, a phrase that just jumped out at me, and I love it. It said, relationships die, love never does. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. we certainly hold them in our hearts forever, don't we? You bet. Mm-hmm. Well, Rod Colvin, thank you so much for coming on our show. It's been wonderful having you on. Well, it's certainly been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ron. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.